to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, resilience, emergency management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach me through LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fulick there, so I'm really easy to find. And I'll reach out to you. I respond to everything I get, and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about the topic you propose. I'm going to skip a bunch of other things I always say because you can probably notice by now on the screen, it's my regular chat with Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back once again. Alex, how many months have we been doing this COVID talk now? It seems like it's been a lot. It's well, I remember when uh, we started talking, not December past, but the December four, when it first uh, appeared in Wuhan province. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so we go back a long time. Honestly. Yeah, so we've been chatting about this uh, a year and a half and consistently monthly for a year, at least a year. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great. It's always to be back with you and talk about COVID. Well, it's always great to have you back. I wish we weren't talking about COVID all the time, but unfortunately. Maybe in another five, six months or that would be good. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll, I don't want to curse us by saying any, anything better than that. No, we, we seem to be cursed enough at the moment. <laughs> I don't want to don't play with that anymore. <laughs> Excuse me. So let's jump in. I know we've got a few things to, to chat about today. Um, Let's talk about COVID, where we stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about the U.S.? Where? Uh, yeah, so actually, let me, let me get broader. Mm-hmm. Let me talk about the world. Sure. And then, and then maybe you talk about Canada, and then I'll talk about the U.S. Because I, okay, I, yeah. I think in a cascading series of things, that's probably a good way to start. So let me just say that um, the world is, is really a mess. Um, I hate to say that. Um, one of the guys I like to follow who's an epidemiologist, his name is Dr. Dr. Michael Ulsterholm. He's been calling this the darkest days of the pandemic. And I, I tend to agree with him because uh, the surges that we are seeing in many places around the world are just stunning, absolutely stunning. And I have some notes for this, which I don't normally need, but the stats are so impressive. It really uh, requires me to actually um, uh, really reference some data here. In particular, there's a really worrisome trend, as you saw, I'm sure, we've already passed 3 million deaths worldwide. That just happened a few days ago on the Johns Hopkins website. Uh, That sort of is to give you a sense of kind of where we're going here. Um, Most people diagnosed with COVID-19 over the last uh, last seven days have been topping 5.2 million globally. So that's, that's amazing to stop and think about it. When you stop and think about it, in a seven-day period, we had 5.2 million people actually diagnosed with COVID. And so that's the highest it has been. Diagnosed. Diagnosed, yes. Wow. That's the highest it's been since the pandemic began. And we are really on a, um, 
we are really on a, a whirlwind as far as what's going on. And it's really being driven, Alex, by the variants. So if you and I were having this conversation like we were, you know, do you remember like back in November? And, and I mean, we knew it was going to be bad, but there weren't any variants. And, you know, life wasn't, yeah. I mean, it was a tough surge in the, in the holiday period. Don't get me wrong. But there were no emerging new diseases. And so, you know, it, it felt like if we could have gotten through the holidays, perhaps we would be in a whole new world. But that's really changed with the variants. And we have a long list of them. We have the B117 from the UK, we have, which is uh, 50 to 70% more infectious and about a percentage more uh, causing death. But the vaccines work with it. There's the P1 from uh, Brazil, which is more transmissible, more deadly, and has about a 40 to 60% impact on the vaccines. And then there's the B1351 from South Africa, which uh, is a little bit more infectious, is, uh, does impact the vaccines. And so that's problematic. Then there is the two from California, my state, which I always wanna make sure I get the numbers right, 1351 and 1352. And those are uh, more infectious, but the variants don't seem to change the vaccine. Those are all the variants of concern. There's also a new variant of concern I just want to mention because it just came out of India, which, by the way, is on fire, and I'll talk about in a minute. I, have to, I haven't memorized these numbers lately. So it's V1617, and it has two changes to the spike protein, and it's located at E484Q, which is like South Africa and P1 Brazil, and it has the L452R, which is like California which makes it, therefore, more infectious, more deadly, impacts the vaccines. And this is now becoming the predominant variant in India. So that's, that's the overlay of why it's so bad. But let me just build on some really important numbers here. So Europe, I don't know if you've been following what's going on over there, but they are on fire. Um, they, had the, they just surpassed last week 1 million deaths in Europe which is shocking, right? For again, highly developed region in the world. Sweden has the highest number of cases right now in the, in the EU. And, um, and they have about 13% of their population has had one dose of vaccine. Now that's not very much, but they are still vaccinating people, but not to some great extent. Germany is in real serious shape with about 90% of all of their cases being now B117, which is again, the UK variant. Uh, France is in the middle of their third lockdown, and this week uh, surpassed just themselves 100,000 deaths with, from COVID, uh, which, again, they would have never imagined would have happened. Uh, and then the good news, I guess, for, for Europe is that cases in Estonia, Poland, and Hungary are starting to drop, but they are still in the top 10 for this last week as far as number of cases per capita. So that whole part of the world is really impacted. And again, remember that this is impacting healthcare systems. It's impacting, obviously, uh, people's uh, li livelihoods and their lives. But again, remember that when you have widespread transmission, you always have the opportunity for the development of variants. And so the more spread we have, the greater the chance of variants. So Europe is really in tough states. Asia is really, oh my gosh, I'm sure you've seen and read about India over the last few yeah. days. <clears throat> There's a concern with here in Canada. Um, it was going to be a part of my update, but 
you're talking about India now, so I'll say it now, is that they want to stop uh, flights coming in from India, knowing that we've got our own issues and India is exploding. We have a very large Indian population. They don't want to let people or flights in at all mm-hmm. right now. Well, frankly, that's smart. Um, I mean, you could certainly quarantine people for 14 days, but I think the mm-hmm. best thing at this point is just to say, please don't come. The thing yeah. about going, what's going on in India, so right now, you know, they actually, for the most part, even though they have 1.3 billion people, their case counts have been relatively low and death relatively low. And there's been lots of speculation, like Africa, why that's been the case. A younger population, uh, a much more, I mean, there, there's so many infectious diseases there. This is just sort of one more and their, and their population seems to be more adapt at responding. However, that's not the situation right now. And this goes back to that new double ver- mutation that they're experiencing, which is now r- running across India. And they're in the middle of a one-month traditional Hindu holiday. And that's in the bathing of the Ganges. So there is, if you were ever to talk about the super spreader event of a lifetime, this is it, the month in India. And so their cases, they had 240,000 cases yesterday. I mean, like, wow, right? That's a huge number for one day. A quarter of a million people. Right, right. And, you know, you can bet there's there are a lot more. Those are just the people that got tested, right? So that's really um, uh, disconcerting. And also, they're not the only uh, country within Asia. So they're in Southeast Asia. But if you go sort of move around slightly, what you're going to see is that in Thailand, which is in the middle of their Thai New Year, they're having a huge increase in cases, as is Turkey, Iran, Iraq. Uh, the Philippines has had an astronomical number of cases, and Japan uh, also, uh, which is actually making people question whether they're going to have the 2020-2021 Summer Games. Which, which are only, to, what, two months away? It's supposed to be two yeah, months it's 100 away? days. It's 100 days. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's, all those, that's a big deal. And then if you continue around the globe, you go to South Africa, or excuse me, I'll talk about South America, uh, they still continue to be in real dire straits. And I'm sure you followed the issues with Brazil mm-hmm. and the P1, and, uh, which now is the predominant virus in Rio and, and Sao Paulo, which are their two largest cities. And so it's going to run through um, the uh, uh, neighborhoods there without uh, like a wildfire. And so they also have the highest number of deaths of babies and really young children in Brazil, really stricken Mm -hmm. by P1. And so that's a deep concern, but it's not just uh, Brazil. I mean, the P1 is spread everywhere. I do a lot of work in Peru and Colombia, and they are being overwhelmed right now with P1, as is Argentina, Uruguay, uh, which is a small country that's to the northeast of Argentina, has the highest per capita infection rate in the world. It's a small country, but they have the highest per capita infection rate of the world right now. I, um, I read today something about Chile. Um, yes. Doing really well with vaccine rates, but yet for some reason, COVID has exploded there. Yes, and that's exactly right. That was my last one. They have 40% of their adult population has received at least one dose, 40%. Yeah. And yet P1, which impacts the vaccine, 
they it is it is rampant. They are really having some significant problems in Chile, which is so surprising given uh, their current um, vaccine record. So mm-hmm. that's a, a mess. And then you flip over to Africa and the cases in Africa right now are still relatively low per capita. But again, I want to remind you, there's very little testing in Africa. And also deaths in many African nations are not reported. Uh, and so there's a big concern, just like in the AIDS uh, crisis. I, I've been to Africa, I think, 10 or 11 times. And uh, especially uh, in the last 15 or so years, I could go into small villages and there'd be these these just random uh, graveyards and they were all from people who had died of HIV and there was no death certificate. There was no formal recognition. Mm-hmm. There was an informal graveyard. And I am very, I would be very surprised if that's not already happening, certainly for the pandemic as well. So what I would say to you is that, you know, it's frankly a, a real mess here uh, and I uh, globally. Um, and so I know, and I think about you all the time, every time I hear about the P1 in particular in Canada and the number of variants you have. And then was it the, the Canadian, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, they lost half their team to yeah. illness. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear about what you're seeing on the ground there in Canada. Oh, put on a seatbelt. I got a <laughs> lot here. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of information. I'll start at the uh, national level, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Canadian government level right now. Um, it, Forgive me for looking down, everybody. My notes are in front of me here. So uh, approximately 1.12 million cases now with 100, uh, which which works out to be 155.3 cases uh, per 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. We've got 23, uh, almost 24,000 uh, deaths mm-hmm. now. Um, only 2.35% of the population is fully vaccinated. How many again? 2.35 is fully. Oh, mm-hmm. However, um, I had to write it down because I saw it on TV just before we started talking. 24.2% now have at least one dose. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last time we talked, that was basically in the single digit. So, right. So, um, that's, that's better than I thought. That's changing. There's been a lot of, um, well, I'll finish on this piece here. Uh, the Yukon territory has 45% of people vaccinated. Nunavut has 26.5% vaccinated and the Northwest Territories uh, right beside Alaska has almost 36% of their population uh, vaccinated now. So things are really different up there. You know, what's interesting, Alex, is that's very comparable to Alaska, which is interesting when you think about it, right? So Alaska, just like in your Northern Territories, they have to get there by snowmobiles, float planes, you know, uh, uh, sled dogs, and yet they have the highest vaccination rates. Yeah. The, in in um, a lot of the cases in uh, Nunavut, I read today, uh, is in the capital of Iqaluit on, um, I believe it's Baffin Island. Better, mm-hmm. better remember my geography, right? Um, that's where most of their cases are. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they, their challenge is, you know, right in one location. They're not, they don't have the big challenge of the entire region um, Mm -hmm. most their populations in one spot Um, last week uh, sorry in the last week the overall hospitalizations are up by 18.3 percent 
Um, this, the federal government, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time, but the federal government signed a deal um, to make Novavax COVID, uh, COVID vaccine in Montreal. The facility oh, is being built now because one of our issues is we didn't have a facility to create our own vaccines. Mm -hmm. So now they are building. Um, and from what I've heard, fast, trying to go as fast as they can to build this facility so we can start making our own vaccines here. Um, they signed an, an agreement with Pfizer to purchase uh, an additional 8 million doses between May and June. That announcement was made the same day that Moderna announced they'd be shipping us less than half of the promised doses we were supposed to get. That issue itself has trickled down into uh, the distribution network, mm -hmm. you know, to provinces and cities and hotspots that need it. Um, they're not getting what they expect now. Mm -hmm. So they're having issues. <clears throat> Moderna blames it on, and I quote, this was in the Toronto Star, a slower than anticipated ramp up in their production capacity as, uh, and it is affecting a number of countries. So uh, considering how far, uh, how such a long time ago Moderna had their vaccine, for this to be their excuse is you really weren't ready even back then when you said you were, let right. alone now, at least to me. Um, that now I'll kind of break down the, the provinces. Um, in Ontario, we've had the sixth straight day of over 4,000 cases. Uh, in wow. fact, one of the days, days we got up to 4,700 and something. Um, so and that's our, your that's your province, right? You're in Ontario. Yeah, that's my province. You know, it's the one two Californias fit into our right. province. You know, so, right. um, but the biggest uh, population is down in the Toronto, Windsor, um, Ottawa corridor. You know, mm -hmm. along the the states, up where my mom is in northwestern Ontario, it's not as densely populated. It's much more spread out. Um, and my mom did get her first shot, by the way, last week. Mm -hmm. So hey. as I mentioned that in the last episode, yeah. she got it and her next one is scheduled um, for what, two months or something uh, from now, I think it was. Great. So uh, in Ontario, the uh, ICU units, the uh, intensive care units are almost at capacity. What the government has now said um, that any uh, ICU unit that starts to fill up, they can just move patients without waiting for any kind of um, permission to do it, spread the, the, uh, spread the patients out to vacant, vacant areas, you know, hospitals that don't have any issues, well, send some there so that those mm -hmm. that are at capacity can, you know, breathe. You know, That's great because you need to have that kind of transfer uh, yeah. capabilities to be able to minimize issues with staffing and equipment. Yeah, so that's done. That's been done. Uh, they've also clo basically closed the border uh, for Ontario. On our west side is the province of Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And on our east side is Quebec. And they now have, and I saw pictures today in the news, checkpoints in all the uh, major really? roads of, you know, why are you coming to the province? You know, do you live here? You know, why are you traveling? You know, where are you coming from? And they're pushing people back or they're saying, great, see that motel over there? You're staying there for two weeks before you're going anywhere else. So wow. that's what's happening uh, in Ontario. On Friday, the government here in Ontario announced a couple of different things. They were closing, all the patios are closed and restaurants are closed again for um, 
takeout only or curbs or curbside pickup as they call it. Mm-hmm. The, um, uh, they said that playgrounds uh, and uh, areas like that, sports fields would all be closed. Um, sports fields, sports teams weren't getting together anyway, so it, that really didn't change. But there was a big stink and uh, fight about the playgrounds with little kids. Mm-hmm. Because last week was their, quote, March break that got moved into April. And now they were saying kids couldn't go out and even play. So there was a big kick up about that. That's changed. Playgrounds are now open. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also said, and this is, this was an interesting one that they were giving the police power to pull people over randomly. If they saw you driving or walking to pull you over and find out why are you out and about, what are you doing? Wow, That's what they do in Europe. There was a huge pushback to that because how do I put this delicately? Things we've seen in the news Hmm. over the last few, few months, if not years, uh, there was a big pushback that, no, that's going to cause a lot of problems and that's going to be perceived in a different way. And even the police forces, including the one w- where I live here in Guelph, the city of Guelph turned around and said, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that. So the government rescinded that and took it back. They also turned around and asked other provinces across the country if they had any <laughs> uh, extra doctors or nurses or healthcare workers that could come to the province and help us. Wow. Uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, Alberta, and BC said no. They don't have anyone because they've got their own issues. Quebec said no um, because they've got big issues as well. However, our maritime provinces, Newfoundland and Labrador, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick, they uh, are looking at it to see if they can send someone because they've got the lowest cases in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, on a previous show, a couple of months ago, you may remember we talked about people on the East Coast had their little bubble. Um, right. Oh, yes. They just stayed right. amongst themselves and didn't let anyone else in. Right. So they have weathered the storm better than many other areas in the country. So they're looking to see if there is anything they can help and bring over. Um, <clears throat> Quebec and Alberta are, are kind of experiencing the same thing that uh, Ontario is. A little bit lesser degree, but they are still experiencing the same thing. High, uh, high counts all across the board. Um, back to the border item I, I read today, because uh, remember, you told me to, to make sure I did a deep dive. So I really did. I want, I, I want to hear the deep dive. I have a lot of friends and colleagues in Canada. I wanted to hear the deep dive. Um, there was a, I think it was New Brunswick now, uh, a person in the in a Walmart parking lot noticed a car with an Ontario license plate and people from Ontario in the car getting out and going shopping. They reported it. Those five people from Ontario have been arrested because they came across into the uh, company, uh, the, the company, sorry, into the province and did not uh, put themselves into isolation like they were supposed to. They crossed the border to go shopping because shops are closed in Ontario. So now they've been charged. You know, I, I don't know what, uh, if they're going to be fined or put into jail or whatever, but they've been arrested and charged. So with uh, whatever that ramifications are for that. So that was interesting. I read about that today. Um, the, uh, let's see, Alberta, Ontario, 
Uh, and as of today, Manitoba and British Columbia have now lowered the threshold. It was 55 and above for people uh, to get the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. As of Friday, today, officially tomorrow, but it's already been announced today, uh, it's now down to 40 and above. So um, I'm obviously going to be looking into that tomorrow to find out, okay, where can I go? What do I register? You know, what do I do? Plain and simple. So um, Great. hopefully okay. next month I, I will have an update on that. I want to hear all about that. I expect to see that Band-Aid on the arm. <laughs> well, yeah, so wherever they give it. I don't know where they give it, in the arm or the knee, you know. Deltoid up here. Oh, up here? Okay. Um, yeah, I'll have to wear it off the shoulder, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's a badge of courage here, right? Yeah, yeah. So hopefully that, that uh, turns out to be something good. Uh, PEI remains flat with zero deaths and PEI Prince Edward Island, for anyone who mm -hmm. doesn't know. Northwest Territories remains with zero deaths. Great. Newfoundland and Labrador, only six deaths. Uh, not only, I should, sorry, mm -hmm. I apologize for that. That's not what I meant. Uh, six deaths. Mm -hmm. Yukon, one death. Nunavut, four deaths. Um, and uh, I already mentioned the delays in uh, vaccine deliveries again, which was an issue that I think I brought up two months in a row now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so we keep experiencing that. Um, they've also arrested a few people at airports coming in with fake vaccine certificates and charged those people. And uh, it's, uh, this, this is something I read this, this morning, which I thought was interesting. I don't know the tax season in the U.S., but at the end of April, it's our tax season when you have to have everything done. Well, because it's tax season, there's a lot of focus on um, some of the go government programs that are in place and people going through where, you know, where they've spent their money and getting all their documentation together. Well, they've had over 1,200 complaints about big business not utilizing some of the funds that governments gave them to help them deal with COVID. Imagine that. that. Now executives are getting uh, big bonuses through COVID. Meanwhile, they've been letting people go, ending contracts and, you know, funneling their money to wherever it goes. And they've had 1,200 whistleblowers. So CRA, Ooh. Canadian Revenue Agency, is now having to take a look into what's going on, you know. So um, I think that's- so uh, un-Canadian, Alex. It is very un-Canadian. Un-Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have covered everything that was on my notes. Yes, I did. That's what's happening here in Canada. That's great. It, it's there. There's good news in there. There's bad news in there. There's, it, it's every direction possible all over the place. And on that note, we've actually come to the end of our first segment. Um, I feel like uh, Regina was interviewing me in that one. With, with so much say, <laughs> so. I, like to, I like to switch it up, you know. <laughs> so we're talking with Regina Phelps today on our monthly chat about all things COVID related. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking once again with Regina Phelps about all things COVID. Uh, Regina, so I've given you Canada's update. You've talked about the world. Now you're on the hot seat. What's happened down in the U.S.? You know, I, what can I say about my country? <laughs> so uh, just to give you a sense of numbers, so still we rank with the most number of cases and the most deaths worldwide. Um, but, you know, we actually started our third surge, which was that big winter surge. We started that on October 16th, and we were at about 55,000 cases, which is kind of amazing because most countries by percentage would never have even gotten that large. But we started that third surge at 55,000 cases. Then we went all the way up to as much as 300 cases, 200,000 cases a day. And then we fell down and I wanna make sure I have the date right. On March 16th, we dropped down to 55,000 cases. So given our date today, which is April 19th, since March 19th, we have been vacillating between 65 and 75,000 cases. So we've gone up and then we have kind of, you know, gone up and down, up and down and up and down, but we've never gotten below 65,000 cases since that date of March 16th. So where we are in the United States is we are trying to fight off a fourth surge. If you're followed the news at all and you've seen what's happening in places like Michigan, right next to you guys, Minnesota, right next to you guys, it is on fire. Uh, And it's being driven uh, primarily by B117. Uh, Also, I saw Maine today was lighting up, uh, parts of the Northeast are lighting up. And so there's a lot of concern that indeed we're at the potential of a fourth wave. We have 50% of the U.S. who have gotten at least, of the adult population has gotten at least one dose. So that's great. But we still have a lot of people left that have either no immunity from natural infection or have not been vaccinated. And so if you look at Minnesota, if you look at Michigan, the cases that they're seeing are primarily younger people. We're looking at 20 to 40, 20 to 50. And many of those kids 
kids, I say, young people are ending up hospitalized and in ICUs. So there's a lot of angst that we could have a fourth surge. And what's been happening in the U.S. the entire time of the pandemic started in the Northeast, went to the Midwest, and then it dropped down all the Southern states from California all the way to Florida. And then after a period of time, it went back up, did the same thing. And this is to be the could potentially be the third time we've had this big flip. And so uh, we'll see what that how that shakes out over the next four to six weeks. So it could be bad. We just don't know mm-hmm. yet. Um, and again, what I do want to say before we uh, go on to other topics is I want to talk briefly about the vaccine campaign. You know, this is the largest vaccine campaign in the history of the world and vaccines. And so just to give you the most current numbers on Bloomberg, which is, by the way, we talked about this last time, the Bloomberg tracker, which is free for people if they don't have a subscription to Bloomberg. Uh, as of today, 894 million doses have been administered worldwide, and that's in 155 countries. Now, that's a lot of vaccine, right? But I want to say to you is that the countries with the most money, and I'm saying, and I'm I'm going to put the finger right on mine, the United States, we have consumed the most vaccines. And so a vast majority of the world have had little, if any, vaccine. And so... um, that's absolutely um, unfortunate. And even though I'm sitting in a country, yes, it has a lot of vaccine. And yes, I have been vaccinated, which I am thankful for. But I think the thing I would say to your listeners is, is that no one is safe until everyone is safe. Mm-hmm. And when we have disease spreading all over the world, not only from a humanitarian perspective, is it awful? But what we have is that when you have widespread transmission, like we're having now globally, you have the opportunity for the growth of variants. Uh, which happens simply because the disease is replicating and moving from person to person. And it also endangers the viability of every vaccine that's been made currently across the world. Because any variant that shoots out that has has developed an advantage that makes it more effective against the vaccine, then that means essentially the entire world is at risk. And so Mm -hmm. I think we need to be um, more more forthright uh, of getting vaccines out across the world. And so I'm super happy that you have this new plant being constructed in Canada. So that will make you guys in a better position. But I'm also concerned that we need to be really thinking about all of our brothers and sisters across the world, because if mm-hmm. if they are still at risk, we are all at risk. That's true. Especially with, um, we mentioned earlier, flights, you know, uh, going back and forth from hotspot to hotspot. That's certainly not going to help each other. Well, look at the look at Canada right now. You're being devastated by two va- two variants that came, one from Brazil and the other from UK. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it and how did that get there? Well, it didn't just fly over on a bird, not like influenza, right? Yeah. It was because of people. Yeah. And so I think that's the important thing. So the United States is really in a precarious situation. We could easily go into a forced surge. Stay tuned. By the time we talk next month, we'll either be in the in the middle of it or we will have escaped it. And we need to continue to vaccinate as many people as possible across the U.S. Do you have vaccine hesitancy in Canada by chance? Oh, yeah. It exists everywhere. There are people, I'm not going to get it you know, for whatever reason. Right. Um, and I, I said that, I knew one person who said that. And I said, well, that makes no sense. I said, because I know you get a needle or some something for their allergies, seasonal allergies, which are kicking in this time of year. Sure. Seasonal allergies. I said, you get your flu shot and yet you, you, you get 
there's a history of cancer in the family. You get checked for cancer. You do all these other things, but you won't take a needle for COVID. Makes no sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a huge issue here in the United States. And interestingly enough, it's uh, the largest number of people that are hesitant for vaccines are in rural communities. They're primarily in the southern parts of the United States. And a vast majority of those who don't want the vaccine are Republican which is, I didn't make any of those numbers up. The Kaiser Family Foundation does a monthly survey and those are the numbers and how it slices out. So we have a lot of vaccine hesitancy in the United States, uh, close to about 30% of the population. So even though we're doing a very good job in vaccinating our population, uh, we will slow it down, but we're certainly not going to stop the spread if we can't get a bigger part of that 30% who are saying no now to start saying yes. Yeah, I think we've got some... Uh, uh outbreaks of uh, protesters saying that, no, 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 this is all a hoax. And going, no, you're just afraid and you don't know where to get the facts. So it's easier to say no than it is to, you know, uh, go and look at something or admit that you're in, you've got yourself in danger. You're putting yourself in danger. Well, and to be honest, too, social media is a great, uh, you know, contributor to the spread of incorrect information and, yep. and this ability for groups to be able to coalesce in ways that were never possible before. So it makes it hugely problematic to try and get accurate information into some of those Facebook and, and uh, you know, Instagram groups uh, or, or yeah. channels on YouTube. Uh, I, <clears throat> I've got comments about people that do that. They just spread that information so they can get more likes. And if it's monetized, they make more money by just spreading misinformation. You know, that is awful. But, but I don't want to go there. So no, <laughs> I'm yeah, not no, going to. Go That's there. all I'm going to say don't about it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take another break because uh, we're going to talk about a Microsoft study. And uh, I believe it was about working at home. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going to be right back. We're talking with Regina Phelps. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Regina Phelps. And as I mentioned at the end of our last segment, Regina, you're going to talk about a Microsoft study about working at home. I am. I am. And this is really uh, under the umbrella of reinvention. So one of the things that we've been spending the last six plus months with our clients is talking about this concept of reinvention. And I do want to mention this study because we really are at a crossroads. And I know, Alex, you and I've talked about this at many times about that we are at the opportunity to really create a new future or basically go back to where we've always done things. And what I would say to any of our listeners is that, you know, it would be an incredible shame if we went through all of this hell for all these months and we went back to the way we've always done it. So what we've been saying to our clients are there are three questions that you need to ask, which really ties to this Microsoft study. And the first big question is, why are you going back? And that sounds like a silly question or one that's actually quite simple, but it's not at all. If you peel back the question of why, that will tell you like, what do you, what do you get out of being in the office that you don't get when you're doing something virtually? Are there things that you can do differently or better? Uh, You know, why? Not just simply because you have an office. So understanding Mm -hmm. that question and then also understanding what's really worked during the pandemic and in remote work and also what's really needed improvement will help any of your listeners really begin to craft a return to work, return to the office uh, with a lot more foresight. The Microsoft study I'd like to talk about uh, they actually do this every year. And, you know, I've never even heard about it, even though it's done hmm. annually. But because the findings were such a big deal in this study, it became really big news. Uh, and so they basically talk about work uh, annually and see where it's going. And it's uh, through Microsoft. It, it's a, a large number of participants all across the world. They came up with five, or excuse me, seven urgent trends that business leaders really need to consider in 2021. I have a list of them here, but rather than just talk about them on this particular page, I'm going to do a deep dive into each one of them uh, and, and in turn. So the first thing that they said in this study is that flexible work is here to stay. And you and I have talked about this a lot, Alex, that flexibility and hybrid work is really going to define the post-pandemic world. So 66% of the leaders that were surveyed in this uh, study said they are already looking at redesigning the office space for hybrid work as well as reducing office space. So that's happening pretty much universally. 66%, a very large number. 73% of of the employees in the study said that they were really keen to have flexible work. But they also wanted the opportunity, 67%, for collaboration in an office space. So that gets into the hybrid model. And we talked about this a lot last time about how to design a hybrid model that works. But so what you're seeing is that leaders are very keen about flexible and and hybrid work, but workers are as well. And so for anybody who's looking at designing the workspace now, 
if they want to be competitive, they're going to have to really embrace and really think about this going forward because there's a huge interest. This is the particular uh, finding that got a lot of information when this study came out three weeks ago. Business leaders are out of touch with their employees. So what does that mean? If you look at this study, the question really asked them, you know, essentially, how are you doing? And business leaders said they were thriving. 61% of them said they were thriving and doing incredibly well. But what happened is when you actually looked at the uh, number of people that said they were thriving, it really changed markedly after you got out of the executive business leader group. Married people, why? Probably because they had kids at home, working moms, Gen Z uh, were not very happy. Frontline workers, of course, had no opportunity to be remote. New employees who didn't really understand the business were struggling. And people that were single that had no uh, you know, no social life, nobody to talk to, nobody in their home. And so what you see is that business leaders were not paying attention to what their employees were saying. Now, that doesn't mean that remote work that can't work, but it means that business leaders must lead with more empathy and be more in touch with their workforce. And that study really clearly pointed that out uh, in a very uh, significant way. Now, what they also talked about, remember there was lots of studies about how productivity was just through the roof, right? The people were super productive in their work from home environment. But what it was masking was how incredibly exhausted everybody is. And this gets back to a significant issue I think we talked about last time, which is remote management of workers is not the same as managing people in an office how you manage remotely, how you set expectations. What do you expect when you send an email at 10 o'clock at night? For example, mm-hmm. do you expect your employee to respond back to you? So it's having clear defined boundaries and really clear defined rules of engagement. And many managers don't do that and the companies don't train them in how to remote manage. So, you know, look at this slide, way more meetings. Why? Because I think we were struggling at the beginning, perhaps, and then we just got into the habit, you know, and and a lot of things can be done asynchronous, which means you and I are contributing at different times, getting to the same result. So the Mm -hmm. idea of pulling back on meetings, pulling back on the sheer numbers of emails or chat, and also how to work on documents uh, when you can't do them as, you know, in a conference room, for example. So there's a lot of overload And again, these are solvable problems, but companies just didn't spend the time to fix them. And one of the things I would also say to you, Alex, is what I've seen in in every one of my clients is that they would have, they would buy new collaborative tools like a Microsoft Teams or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they would just toss them to them and say, here, use this to collaborate. Did they train them? Did they help them set up those uh, team sites? No. Or they trained them. And this happened to my last contract. They trained them six months in advance and then threw it at us and expected us to remember what they said six months ago. Right, right. And so you, again, you can't just give people lots of tools and not assist them. You have to know how to manage people remotely. And this is where the productivity thing really uh, came through is that we were just working people to death. Right. Mm-hmm. 
This I thought was very interesting, and that is that the Gen Z population, which are the new workers, right? These are these are people 18 to 25. And so they said that they were flank, uh, frankly mere, barely surviving or flat out struggling. And just think about it. You know, you're new in your in your work life. You probably just got out of university. Uh, you're going to you're now having your first job. Maybe it's your second job. You don't really know a lot about the work environment per se. And here you are, all of a sudden, remote. So a lot of them really struggle. And you see the difference between the different generations where the boomers are actually pretty comfortable with what's going on. And as you see, as it progresses across from left to right, the younger the population, the Gen Z in particular, but also millennials, uh, really don't have that work experience to be able to call on. And therefore, they're really struggling more. And this is an important issue. What does that say to managers? What does that say to companies? For younger people, they just can't throw them out at home and say, figure it out. How mm-hmm. do you support people? How do you provide that kind of sponsorship and and support so they can actually be successful? Many of these people might be living in also more crowded homes because perhaps they've got several roommates or maybe they're living alone. And so they're just lonely. And so this is a big deal uh, for for future of work. This one I thought was actually pretty interesting because what they did is they talked about how at the beginning of the pandemic, if you look at the diagram, you'll see that kind of blue line at the top and then as you notice, it's, it's quite high for a while and then it drops down. That blue line is talking about you working with distinct networks. So if you're in the accounting office, for example, uh, you're now reaching out to a whole bunch of other people that are not in your department because you're probably trying to figure out how, what's going on, what are the work processes, how do we connect, blah, blah, blah. But then what began to happen is that we got very siloed in how we worked because we were working remotely. And so pretty soon what happens is all the accounting people only talk to accounting people and all of the people Mm -hmm. in production only talk to those people. And so what happens is the opportunity for collaboration, for kind of that spontaneity that comes when you get different heads in a room disappears. And so because of that, it was Microsoft, the study found was really kind of really limiting innovation. Now these are solvable problems with with the appropriate types of platforms and tools and processes. So it doesn't mean that you have to then throw everybody back in an office, but it means that you have to be aware that sometimes where you get the best spark of an idea is because you're in one department, I'm in another, maybe we have lunch together and all of a sudden you start talking about a problem, I'm having the same problem. And next thing you know, we sort of figure out how to solve it. But that's that kind of spontaneous network that you don't get when everybody's at home. That's also a solvable problem. This one I thought was really interesting. uh, And it really talked about the authentic and empathetic leader. That there were a lot more genuine types of relationships that actually did form when we were at home. So we saw our manager's dogs in the back of the, of, the, of the video, or we saw their kids running across the room, or, you know, people had a bad day and all of a sudden somebody would just burst into tears. I mean, you never saw that in an office environment. And mm-hmm. so what happened is that people became more real. And that was actually very helpful for people in trying to manage through some pretty tough times. And as you see in that slide, 27% of the people surveyed actually cried with a coworker. I mean, that, 
Oh, come on, Alex. That would never happen pre-pandemic. Never, never. In fact, that would be looked at negatively. Right, right. You can't take it, right, or whatever. Exactly, yeah. You can't handle it. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a lot more of that kind of support. And I will tell you, and I think we've talked about this several times, my most successful clients have been the ones where the leaders have been very empathetic. They were able to be real with people and sincere in ways that they frankly had not done before. And I am hopeful that going forward, that kind of authenticity, that kind of empathy can carry forward because mm-hmm. I think that's what that's what we need in a work environment. We need that kind of empathy. And if you look again at the world leaders who did exceptionally well in the pandemic, I have to say, they were all women leaders, not the guys. Why? Because they generally can be a more empathetic person in the time of crisis. And so I think that's another thing that people are really looking for. And then uh, this is, I think, a really important one. That is that when you open up the world for where you get your workforce, then you have talent everywhere. And if you open up a hybrid work environment, now you can get people from all over, all kinds of opportunities given to them. And I think we might have talked about this last time. Um, one of my clients is the World Bank, and they look at this as a great opportunity to be able to get people anywhere, right? Uh, many of my big banking clients are looking at it from the same perspective. There are no more boundaries if you don't have to physically be coming into an office. There are mm-hmm. other issues that may come up, like cybersecurity in some areas, but those are all solvable problems. So there is talent everywhere in the world. And when you have the world available to you, then you have the opportunity for a lot more um, uh, great talent. Yep. Two so minutes the, left. Okay. So in the post-pandemic world, uh, this is the last thing I'm going to leave us with, and we can talk more, and I just talk about you next time. 41% of the employees are thinking of leaving their job. Yeah. Why? Because of all the things that I mentioned that weren't going well. And so employers that are listening to this podcast need to really understand that they need to solve these problems because 41% of your employees, if it's like this study, are thinking about looking for another job. And that's a huge waste of talent. And that means that you are behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more I could talk about. We can pick this up next month when I speak with you, but there's a lot of information and I will send you this study and you can make it available to our listeners. Yeah. I will see about getting it on my website alexfolk.com or stone-road.com. Um, we'll see if we can get uh, it up there and I'll include that in the link in the video description and everyone can get a copy of uh, this study. Um, Regina, always great to talk to you. And yeah, I do want to talk about this afterwards because I read a couple of articles uh, uh, as well. So I, this is definitely a topic for next month for sure to, to dig a little deeper in this one. But thank you once again, always good to talk to you. You know, and Great. one of these days we'll get to have a happy episode. I, I can't yeah. wait for that, Alex. And in the meantime, <laughs> I hope you are well, and I hope you get your jab between now and the next time I visit with you next month. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> so thanks again, Regina. Thanks for sharing your time and expertise and everybody watching. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.